This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Reed Redmond. I'm Will Johnson. The show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles. There was a lot of things that they neglected to do that they really didn't think would come back to bite them. You know, just they didn't, I guess, assume that we were going to do the things that we did. They prepare for days for this escape and they try to plan every single detail. Investigators continue warning people in Fentress County to keep their doors locked and they're keeping their search efforts focused around the Commerce Drive, Woodland Road and the County Road area. The look of just pure determination, he said, I'm not going to come back. And we knew what, what he meant. And, and I agreed. Seven forty-eight a.m. for second July nineteen two thousand twenty-one. Dispatch. Hey, we got two running out the out the gate. Sorry. Okay. We got two inmates running. Okay, we'll send them up there. Thank you. Bye. It's just before eight a.m. on July nineteenth, twenty twenty-one, when an employee at the Fentress County Jail in Jamestown, Tennessee, tells nine one one dispatchers that two inmates are attempting an escape. The employee eventually tells dispatch the two men trying to escape are inmates who'd recently been transferred from Roan County, Tennessee. The Roan County boys. Ride Nower and Kennedy. Ride Nower and Kennedy. Ride Nower and Kennedy. Yes. Charles Kennedy and Casey Ridenauer are essentially career criminals, and I think they describe themselves that way as well. When Cole Sullivan covered this story for local news station WBIR in Knoxville, Tennessee, he learned that Casey Ridenauer and Charles Kennedy first met each other in 2018 on a work detail while serving sentences for burglary. It was Ridenauer himself who told Cole about that meeting. I actually met him a few years ago. We were both doing a prison sentence and uh, we're housed at the same facility. And uh, we both, we got out, uh, we actually got out on the same day years ago and uh, just started being buddies. Ridenauer and Kennedy both ended up back behind bars a short time later, and they grew even closer, spending as much time together as they possibly could. We spent every moment together here. We woke up, we had the same schedule, the same routine, the same workout plan. We ate the same food. We, we did everything together. Casey Ridenauer describes it as them imprinting on each other. He says they spend so much time together, they picked up each other's mannerisms. They do look alike. They both have the same kind of brown beard, square glasses, brown hair, kind of same facial structure as well. Charles Kennedy is much taller than Casey Ridenauer. He's 6'3 or 6'4. But otherwise, looking at their mugshots, basically, you can't tell them apart. This time around, Charles Kennedy was again facing burglary charges. Casey Ridenauer was awaiting trial on a charge of second-degree murder, an offense he's since pleaded guilty to. But back in 2021, Kennedy and Ridenauer were just passing time behind bars, both staring at lengthy prison sentences, depending on how their cases played out. Essentially, they'd pass the time by playing games, by working out, by exercising together, by 
they operated on essentially the same schedule. They woke up at the same time. They ate the same food. They um, played the same games. And throughout all of this, they began joking about what if we escaped? How will we do it? Liberty is the all-impending, you know, you know, the meat that's dangling in front of every, each and every one of us, you know. And um, it really just all started as a joke. But as the two men joked about escaping, the laughter started to subside until they were just talking about it. It starts to seem real. It starts to feel like something they might actually be able to accomplish. It starts to feel like they might be able to escape when they get in trouble. They both get thrown in solitary confinement in what they call the hole in Roan County Jail. And shortly thereafter, they get shipped to another neighboring county, Fentress County, which is kind of north middle Tennessee near the Kentucky state line. On the way there in the back of a patrol car, Kennedy and Ridenauer begin talking and begin saying, hey, this place we might be able to escape out of. It really just kind of fell into our lap. We, we got shipped up there to that facility that doesn't really have much security. I've never been in either jail, but I can tell you that Ridenauer's depiction of the Fentress County Jail is, quote, a much more backwoods kind of place. He says that it's much lower security and that the jailers made some initial mistakes as soon as he and Kennedy arrived. He says that as they arrived, they didn't sort them into kind of medium, high, low security. They put them straight into the general population. There was a lot of things that they neglected to do that they really didn't think would come back to bite them. You know, just they didn't, I guess, assume that we were going to do the things that we did. And they quickly learned some of the weaknesses of that jail. Not all the guards carried weapons like tasers or mace. And out of the kitchen where some inmates worked to prepare meals, there was an unlocked door into a gated back parking lot. And they locked in on that unlocked door as their means for escape. And the two men weren't just going to make a break for it. They planned their escape meticulously. They develop extensive preparations, Ridenauer says. They prepare for days for this escape and they try to plan every single detail. They begin by gathering supplies they think they need. They start to store up peanut butter. They start to store up instant coffee. They get large containers to carry water and a container of bleach that they're going to use to try to purify that water as they run. They are wearing jail-issued Crocs, so they take strips of a jail uniform and tie it around their feet and the Crocs to try to secure the, the shoes to their feet better so they can run through the woods. They both wear glasses, so they fashion essentially uh, makeshift strips of cloth to hold their glasses to their head better. We cut a mop head apart and took the strings of the mop they made and braided them together into a web and made uh, two small backpacks out of mop strings. And we took everything from um, bleach water for water purification to uh, a homemade knife. Um, We made rope. We twist braided plastic to make and trash bags to make rope. They begin to exercise more. They start to walk around the pod fast to try to condition their bodies to the running that they think they're going to have to do. And they enlist other inmates' help and begin trying to feel out who might be willing to have their back if they make a break for it. And who knows the most about both the jail, which they begin to draw maps of, and the area around, which they also begin to try to understand 
so that they can make this escape. We would try to think about every little angle we could, everything from drawing maps of the facility to um, making a schedule of what uh, correction officers were working on what days of the week and when they would be there, um, which officers carried tasers, which ones carried mace, which ones didn't. Ridenauer and Kennedy also started planning for whatever might happen after the escape. They begin tipping their hand to friends on the outside. Ridenauer describes in kind of coded words to try to have people on the outside ready to help them when they escape, ready to hide them. After a couple weeks of planning, the two men settle on a final plan of action, how they're going to get out of the facility and where they're going to go. The plan is to bust out that kitchen door, run into the woods, and eventually make their way to Morgan County, where Kennedy is from, the next county over, another rural, mountainous, wooded county, stay there for a while, eventually make their way down south to kind of Mississippi, Louisiana, and from there across the border into Mexico. And I asked Ridenauer, why Mexico? And he said, look, we wanted to get somewhere where we thought we could stay free, where we wouldn't be recaptured. And we thought that Mexico might be the right place to do that. And he says, we're both addicts and we needed to find a way to obtain drugs. And we thought we could do that pretty easily in Mexico as well. To get to Mexico, they knew they were going to need some money. So they planned for that as well. They were going to steal identities along the way. They had somehow obtained social security numbers, driver's license, date of birth for two different people who they were going to steal their identities, obtain a quick loan in their name to get cash to finance their trip across the border. I asked him why he was doing that. And he said, well, look, we thought about other ways to make money. The most logical for us is to sell drugs because that's what they had been doing. But he says that would have brought us into contact with too many people and potentially addled our own brains. And we needed to stay as hidden as we could and as sharp as we could to get across the border. Escaping was no longer a joke or a fantasy. These two friends were determined to get free at any cost. I would say it's about three days before we left and we're walking. And I said, Charles, I really don't want to come back. I really don't want to go to prison. And he said he didn't either. Well, we walked some more and he said that he, and then he looked at me and with, with, with the look of just pure determination, he said, I'm not going to come back. And we knew what, what he meant and, and I agreed. On Monday, July 19th, 2021, Ridenauer and Kennedy woke up, drank a strong cup of coffee, and made their final preparations. It's early in the morning, it's a Monday morning, and they've they've started to learn the guard schedules at this jail. They've only been there less than two weeks at this point, but they know guards on Monday morning don't typically carry tasers or mace. And so as the other inmates are being led to the rec yard, they grab makeshift backpacks that they have made to carry all the stuff that they've collected. And Ridenauer says they stuff those backpacks in their pant legs to try to hide what they're doing, and they begin to run the opposite direction from the rest of the inmates. They're trying to, they went over the gate. They're trying to figure it out. They're going that way. They're going to the front. Going, 
They're going toward the front, they say, going toward the front. While everyone else is going to the rec yard, they're running into the kitchen. They run through the kitchen, out that unlocked door, and into that gated parking lot, and almost immediately, the plan changes. We left the, left the facility to a enclosed parking lot that we just jumped into a random vehicle and it just happened to have the keys in it. And it was a 2018 Dodge Challenger. So we just happened to jump into a race car. <laughs> they see, probably because it's hard to miss, a 2016 Dodge Challenger that is bright orange. They try the door, it's unlocked, they hop in, the keys are in the car, and it starts up when they get in the car. They didn't plan to steal a car at this point. They don't know what they're doing because they're in this gated lot still, and the correctional officers, the jailers, are running their direction and trying to stop them. They go drive towards the gate, the gate opens, and Ridenauer says Kennedy floors it. Within seconds, Ridenauer and Kennedy were flying down the highway. Ridenauer says their vehicle was going 165 miles an hour. A report from the Fentress County Sheriff's Office confirms that the chase exceeded 100 miles per hour at times. They just left in an orange charger, so they've had it made up. The pair of escapees couldn't believe their luck until that luck ran out. About nine miles south of the jail, the Challenger ran out of gas. And then boom, the car ran out of gas. <laughs> so we just so happened to jump into one car with keys, but we also jumped into the one car with keys and no gas. And um, so that, that's what led us to end up, we pulled off the road and hit the woods. Ridenauer estimates that deputies were only a minute or two behind as he and Kennedy sprinted deeper into the woods of Fentress County, Tennessee. We could hear the police or the marshals on us, on our trail, as uh, dogs, helicopters, and it was terrifying. Um, it was, I didn't know an adrenaline rush could last longer than just a few seconds. I, I'll say that, you know, it lasted all day. Ridenauer says they kept running all day, only stopping to rest when they absolutely needed to. Honestly, we were just running for our lives. And uh, at any point in time when we heard a noise, a dog barking or a helicopter, a helicopter overhead, we would immediately just not stop and freeze, but try to just adjust our path uh, to, to take that into account to try to avoid uh, meeting them. With that being said, there was a couple times, I would say three times that I know of for sure, but I, there may have been more that we actually were within 15 feet of these officers that didn't know that we were, we were there. By this point, Ridenauer and Kennedy had taken their bright jail clothes and caked them with mud to try to blend in with their surroundings. They'd also done what they could to throw law enforcement canines off their scent. So after they make their escape, they've asked other inmates to help cover their tracks. And the inmates agree. And as in the chaos after the escape, the inmates, Ridenauer says, swap out all the bedding that they used, swap out all the clothes that they left behind so that when police search dogs are brought in and tried to lock in on a scent, they're actually locking in on a current inmate and not one of the escapees. And Ridenauer describes out in the woods as those dogs searched, he said, they were running in circles around us. We could tell that they couldn't see where we were. They couldn't tell what we were doing because they were locked on the wrong scent. They were looking for the wrong person. The two men planned to stay in the woods for days if they needed to, 
And according to Ridenauer, Kennedy had a lot of experience surviving in the Tennessee wilderness. He puts Bear Grylls to shame, you know, or, or Les Stroud to shame. He is, uh, I remember while we were out there, he was picking roots and saying, we're going to need this in case we get bit by snakes and digging roots and saying, we're going to need this in case we get sumac and, and, and putting these things away and carrying them with us, that things that would help us sustain ourselves out there. After hours of running, both men were growing exhausted. But the weather provided a moment of relief. It started raining, and the two men were hopeful that the rain might cover their tracks. But it also made running more difficult. So finally, around 9 o'clock that night, roughly 13 hours after they'd first made a break for it, Ridenauer and Kennedy lied down in the mud to try to rest. But they couldn't. He says he would have made it if it weren't for the mosquitoes that night. We're getting bit repeatedly, repeatedly by these mosquitoes. He says they were eaten alive by mosquitoes as they were trying to rest to regain their energy and to think clearly about how they were going to escape. They had run into trouble because they felt like they were running in circles and they couldn't figure out which direction they needed to go. And as they're trying to rest, the bugs come out and just begin to eat them alive. Well, I ended up tearing the sleeves off our shirts and we're, we pulled them over our faces to try to protect our faces while we're laying there and the mosquitoes are just biting us through the through the material over and over and over and it was torture. And um, eventually we said, we just got to get up. We can't, we got to keep moving. Even if we're not making progress, we got to keep moving to keep the bugs off of us. By this point, multiple law enforcement agencies were involved in the search. Within a less than an hour after they escape, they're on the most wanted list in the state of Tennessee. Agencies across the state are looking for them, and many in Fentress County are as well. Roane County is looking for them. Morgan County is looking for them. Of course, the Fentress County Sheriff's Office is there. The Tennessee Highway Patrol is notified, and you assume the TBI is also aware of their escape. They're hunting through the woods for them. They've set up checkpoints along many sections of the road to try to stop cars and search them to contain these escapees within a certain area. And that becomes a problem because Ridenauer and Kennedy can't sleep. They can't get that rest. The bugs are just too bad. So they stand up, exhausted and eaten alive. They press on. They steal a car, a utility truck, and begin driving and quickly start coming upon these checkpoints that, they, that have been set up around the area. They see him coming usually because it's nighttime and you can see the lights. So Ridenauer says he ducks into the floorboard whenever they're approaching a checkpoint. And Kennedy, who's driving, puts on a pink COVID mask, a pink surgical mask that was in the car. And he says they are driving through these checkpoints. And Ridenauer says they make it through multiple checkpoints before they come to one around a blind turn, and they don't have time to get ready. They stop at the checkpoint, they wave to the officer, they say, have a good night, and they keep driving and hope that he won't pull out behind them. But of course, he does. And I said, he's good, he's going to pull out. He said, no, he's not. We're good, we're good, we're good. They pulled out. So we tried to just slowly speed up at first. Um, We ended up in a high-speed chase, though. Now, Ridenauer says they're in another high-speed chase with a sea of blue flashing lights in the rearview mirror. This time around, Ridenauer and Kennedy weren't racing down the highway in a Dodge Challenger. They were chugging along in a pickup truck. 
and Ridenour describes throwing his tools out of this utility truck that are trying to make it harder for these deputies and officers to chase him. At one point, they decide, this is it. This is the do-or-die moment. And they thought there was a good chance they were going to die. As they approached a curve in the road, Ridenour says Kennedy drove straight ahead, flying up a gravel driveway and into a patch of grass. Then, without slowing down, he cranked the wheel. It was like Dukes of Hazard. He did a J-turn at about 75 mile an hour in a truck in grass. And as, as the J-turn was completed, we jumped out of the truck. He slammed, he's, he hit the throttle again. And as the truck's going back towards the vehicles that are chasing us, we're jumping out and running behind the truck. And um, we ran to the woods and we might've been 10 feet into the woods. And I'm running as fast as I possibly can, and I get knocked out cold. All of a sudden, Ridenauer finds himself on the ground, knocked unconscious. He's run into a fence pole, uh, some kind of fence in the woods, and it's knocked him unconscious. His buddy, Kennedy, has already made it up over the fence, so he, woozy, tries to climb up over this fence, falls down on the other side, he says. And Kennedy's pulling ahead. Ridenauer is trying to keep up, but soon finds himself surrounded by deputies. And he describes this moment where Kennedy is looking at him and lets loose what Ridenauer describes as like a Tarzan scream, realizing that these two friends are separated and that Ridenauer has been recaptured. When I hit the ground, there was a circle of officers around me. And he's just on the other side of the fence, just staring at me. And I'll, I'll, ne- I'll get cold chills now just thinking about it. I'll never forget. There was a blood-curdling scream that he made. He yelled. It was. It was like Tarzan. I mean, I don't understand. It was like he knew that. Like we called. We were brothers. You know, that was. He was my brother at that point. And he's. I, I just yelled go. That's all I could say. I just yelled at him to go, and he, he just stayed there for probably ten seconds. And he turned around and ran. Right now, goes back to jail. And Kennedy continues to run. And that was the last I ever saw him. He got away. An escapee from the Fetris County Jail remains on the run tonight. Back on Monday, authorities launched a search for two escapees on your screen, Charles Kennedy and Casey Ridenauer. Authorities did capture Ridenauer, who is a suspect in a murder case. Kennedy is a suspect in a string of crimes, including theft, and he remains on the run. The reward for a tip in that case and one that leads to his arrest is now $2,500. Investigators continue warning people in Fentress County to keep their doors locked, and they're keeping their search efforts focused around the Commerce Drive, Woodland Road, and the County Road area. Back in the Fentress County Jail, Casey Ridenauer anxiously awaited any news about his friend. Part of me was like cheering them on, like I was watching my hometown football team playing or something. And an- another part of me was, uh, was scared for him. He doesn't get a lot of word until a friend slips him a message that Kennedy has, quote, made it to the beach. I was in an isolation cell here and, and I was locked down 23 hours a day and I went out to make a video call and an individual told me that he says he's on the beach. Your buddy says he's on the beach. And that, to Ridenauer, signifies that his friend had made it across the border into Mexico. And Ridenauer describes just feeling pure joy that his friend made it, that he pulled off this escape. It's been months at this point since they ran, and that Kennedy has finally made it to Mexico, as they always planned. When I heard that, I came back to my cell, and I just, I remember jumping around, like, 
like you, a young kid playing in the mud. That's I was jumping around in my cell, just excited. After that point, Ridenour says he didn't hear much, just the occasional cryptic message that Kennedy was doing well. But then the news takes a turn. Ridenour starts to hear that something has happened to Kennedy. He starts to hear that there's a Facebook video or a video sent over Facebook of his dead body. The video's been sent to family members. Ridenour says he didn't believe it at first. The video just showed him... It was like a full-body video of them just walking around him, showing him as if he was deceased. And the way that they just... Everyone was saying at first, this isn't really him. But through describing his tattoos, his body his body structure, the color of his hair, I determined that this person in this video, just through me asking questions, was him. And so I had to question, is he dead, is he not? But by the time Ridenauer got word of the video, investigators have been able to confirm that this wasn't just a trick. Charles Kennedy was dead. And we've confirmed with the Rome County Sheriff that Kennedy's sister went to the sheriff and said, I have this video that someone in Mexico has sent of Kennedy's dead body. And they want money in exchange for sending his body home. The sheriff describes it as a criminal organization in Mexico was essentially ransoming Charles Kennedy's body. Sheriff says, we told her not to pay the ransom. We contacted the TBI, the FBI, the State Department, Mexican authorities. He says, together, those agencies were able to get Kennedy's body back to Tennessee and identify that it really was him using fingerprint and tattoo records. At the end of his interview with Casey Ridenauer, Cole Sullivan had one question left that he wanted to ask. Beyond the details that can be confirmed by law enforcement records, why should anyone believe this story? When I asked Ridenauer why we should believe him, he was really taken aback. He had a fast answer for why he was telling the story now, but he hadn't considered, he says, why I or anyone else would believe what he's saying. I don't know. I don't know, to be honest with you. He thought about it a little bit and then said, you know, I hope you don't believe me. I don't know. It, it would be better for me for people not to believe it than for, the, for them to believe it. Maybe I could say that. Because to believe me is to believe all of these bad things that I've done. Believing the story means you have to believe I have some of these problems. For me to be a liar is a much smaller and more singular problem than the problems that I actually have that, would, that are entertained to cause the story to be truth. So he concluded by saying, look, I hope you don't believe that I did all these things. Because if you do, that means you think I'm a bad guy. And if you don't, you just think I'm a liar. So for everyone that doesn't want to believe it, thank you for not believing it. (laughs) For True Crime Chronicles, I'm Will Johnson, along with Reed Redmond, here to talk a bit more about this case and some questions and follow-ups. I know you wanted to mention, Reed, First of all, I want to start by talking about Casey Ridenauer and Charles Kennedy's mugshots. Cole Sullivan talked about their resemblance, and I'm looking at the photos right now uh, online, these mugshots. I mean, it is uncanny. You could easily mistake one of these men for the other. Yeah, well, you you totally could. And when I first heard about this story and was watching Cole Sullivan's report for WBIR, I was convinced that Ridenauer and Kennedy were going to switch places or something as part of an escape plan 
one of them was going to pretend to be the other, kind of parent trap style. Of course, that's not what happened. They were just so close that they started to wear their hair and their glasses the same way and grow out their beards. Again, we heard Cole say, Ridenauer described it as imprinting. He actually went on to say that it was like how a husband and wife start to act the same way. He even said that now that Charles Kennedy is dead, people who were friends with Charles will tell him that they see Charles Kennedy's mannerisms in him now. Reed, when Cole interviewed Casey Ridenauer, he was awaiting trial for second-degree murder. And you mentioned earlier in the episode that he since pleaded guilty. Do we have any other details on that case? Yeah, so according to Roan County court records, Ridenauer pleaded guilty to that charge on July 8th. He was also charged with abuse of a corpse in that case, but that charge was dismissed. WBIR had covered this case back in 2020, and they reported at the time that court documents were alleging Ridenauer strangled a man named Aaron Brown to death with a seatbelt over a drug debt. Ridenauer had a co-defendant in this case, a man named Samuel Cook, who's also pleaded guilty to murder. And Cook was said to be in the car when the strangling took place, but did nothing to stop it and then helped Ridenauer dump the body in a river. A community newspaper, the Roan County News, covered the most recent hearing, and they reported that Cook was sentenced to 15 years in prison and Casey Ridenauer was sentenced to 20 years in prison. Again, Charles Kennedy wasn't involved in that case. He was in jail facing a burglary charge, but of course he was never able to be tried on that. Reed, do we know how exactly Charles Kennedy died? We don't. I asked Cole Sullivan about that and he said that's still one of the details here that we don't have. He said the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation file on this will remain closed indefinitely, which means there are some details about this story we'll never know for certain. Cole told me he even tried to go through Mexican authorities to get autopsy information about Charles Kennedy, but he didn't have any luck going down that route either. We heard Ridenauer's reaction to learning about this video showing Kennedy's body, and he was skeptical. Did he explain that reaction? So, Will, that reaction was because he knew that his friend if given the opportunity, would have faked his own death. That was even part of their plan together. They wanted to fake their deaths once they got to Mexico so that they could go about living their lives without the constant threat that they might be captured. So I asked Cole, you know, are investigators 100% sure that Kennedy died? And that's when he told me the story that we heard earlier in the episode about how they actually got Charles Kennedy's body back to Tennessee and confirmed that it was him. And finally, Reed... I really want to know, did Cole talk to you about getting this interview with Casey Ridenauer? I mean, he must have been surprised that Ridenauer was willing to be this open with him. Yeah, it's really rare to hear an interview like this. And, you know, Ridenauer was well aware that he was potentially putting himself in more legal jeopardy to talk about all these details. But I asked Cole how the interview came about, and here's what he told me. As a reporter, it was a dream come true to have the person who knows best this story decide they want to tell you this entire story. I reached out to him, I sent him a message and asked him if he'd be willing to talk. And later that night I was sitting at home after going to the gym and I heard a weird ringtone on my phone and I couldn't figure out what this weird ringtone was. And so I got up and I went over and looked at it and it was the app that you can use to speak to inmates in the Rome County Jail And he was video calling me from jail. And I opened up the app, I accepted the call, and he proceeded to tell me this entire story, this unbelievable, daring story of how he and his friend escaped. 
as a reporter, it was fascinating to, to hear this whole story. It was fascinating to talk to someone in jail about this and how they pulled it all off. It was also really interesting to hear how he talked about it because he spoke about it very clearly, very concisely. He went chronologically. It, it made sense. The story he was telling is very believable and is corroborated by many of the official documents that we have. Cole also asked Casey Ridenour in the interview, you know, why are you telling me all of this? And Ridenour talked about wanting people to hear about his friend. He said that they were both addicts, that they both had extensive criminal records. They both damaged a lot of relationships. And he said he wanted the people who'd cared about Charles Kennedy at some point in his life to know this whole story. One other interesting detail that I'll add, Cole told me that the day that the story was airing on TV, he got a call from Ridenour and Ridenour left a message telling him the jail had actually turned off the TVs while the story was running so that the other inmates couldn't see how he escaped. All right, Reed, thanks for bringing us the story this week and thanks to reporter Cole Sullivan now at KUSA in Denver. And you can read more about this case and the story at WBIR.com. For True Crime Chronicles, I'm Will Johnson, along with Reed Redmond. We will both be off next week for the long weekend for the Labor Day holiday and back in two weeks with a new case and a new story.